In this week's episode, I'm joined by Kim Clark, DEI communications speaker and consultant and co-author of The Conscious Communicator, The Fine Art of Not Saying Stupid Shit. This week, our conversation is about Irish step dancers, trans inclusion at Sephora, voter rights, and more. Hey there, my name is Bernadette Smith. Welcome to Five Things in 15 Minutes, my weekly show where I bring good vibes to DEI. That is good vibes to diversity, equity, and inclusion with a little dash of corporate social responsibility. What I've found is that there are lots of news stories about what's going wrong in the world and lots of negative data, but there are also a lot of things going right. That's what I like to focus on. I search for DEI stories that we can be inspired by and learn from. My hope is to inspire you to experiment with some of these inclusive actions and policies within your own organization to help you build a more inclusive world. Let's get started. Kim, it is a pleasure having you. Why don't you tell folks a little bit about yourself? Thanks for the courage of saying the full, complete, accurate title to our book. I credit my co-author, Janet M. Stovall, with that second half of the title. And I had the safe version of the conscious communicator part of the title there. (laughs) Uh, Hi, everybody. I am Kim Clark, pronouns she, her. And I bring the power and possibility of diversity, equity, and inclusion combined with the power and possibility of communication. So that power of language within organizations, helping organizations not be performative in their communications, whether it's a strategic communications, a change, you know, management or a cultural moment like Black History Month, for example. But, you know, and we might get to this, Bernadette, but I think DEI as an industry needs its own comms person. So I am mm. stepping into that <laughs> and, and helping DEI practitioners with the communications and the key messaging and how we do communications around what DEI actually is so we can combat uh, the negative and, and, well, some of it's accurate, but mostly inaccurate uh, narrative that's out there about DEI that's making leaders um, feel fear and be scared. And we need to counter that. We need to educate. What do you think are some of the reasons that leaders are afraid of saying of saying the stupid shit. I mean, I guess yeah, let's talk a little <laughs> bit of, let's dig into that. Why what are some of the the excuses I guess you or the the rationale you hear from leaders? Well, we saw this surge of support in the form of black squares in the summer of 2020, these statements of solidarity, which was the impetus of why I wanted to write the book and why I reached out to my co-author to to join me in writing the book because I was like, no, 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 don't do that. You know, don't, you don't know the work behind what you're saying. You know, you're keeping up with the Joneses and you making these pledges, but what's the ROI? You know, so there was a lot, a lack of understanding of what diversity, equity, and inclusion actually is beyond these, you know, statements of solidarity, the actual work, the change that the person, the policies, the practices, the procedures, the systems need to go through in order to live up to those statements of solidarity. So we go from this like roof, you know, of mm-hmm. support into like, okay, now we're getting back to work. And we left this void 
open for people to say, hey, I feel left out. Hey, this woke thing. And they co-opt a black community term like woke and then make it a pejorative and they weaponize right. it. Yeah. And then the next step is to weaponize DEI. So leaders who have been criticized by people who are employee resource groups or DEI practitioners saying, hey, you can't do performative things. They think they're doing the right thing because they don't have a deep understanding. They have a service level understanding of what diversity, equity, and inclusion is. So the corporatized version of DEI, it doesn't work. And I just posted about this last week. So that part, that doesn't work, right? But the actual work of diversity, equity, and inclusion absolutely works. But you have to let us do the work so yeah. we can show you that this is the right thing to do. But you have to fund it. Just yeah. like the digital revolution, you have to step out in faith. You have to invest in it. There is training involved. There is change management involved. There's policy change. There's technological change. You know, our HR systems, our performance management systems, all of those things. So just like a digital revolution, DEI is a revolution within, it's a transformation within our business, mm -hmm. but it hasn't been positioned that way. So their framework of understanding DEI is very surface level, goodwill. Let's, let's send out, you know, a banner that says happy uh, Native American Heritage Month and we're good. And so they haven't understood what the work is and then they feel you know, criticized for what they do do. So then they're like, okay. And then you have a Bud Light moment or you have a target moment where now not only is it impacting your reputation, which is very, very costly, but it's also affecting, you know, you know, having layoffs. And so there's a financial consequence to not understanding DEI and investing appropriately. And so it's just like, I I'm just out. We just want to duck yeah. and cover. Yeah. And that is not the right move. Right. Anyone who's backing off, anyone who's laying off DEI people in-house or through, you know, bringing in consultants and stuff, you are getting further and further away from being prepared for the onslaught of kind of employee engagement, talent attraction and retention, innovation with your products and services that you must have to weather through this storm. Wow. I Love your passion, Kim. I just got you all fired up there by accident. And it was I, um, very, very cool very to watch. <laughs> very, very, very cool to watch. Uh, so thank you for sharing all of that. You know what? Um, one of the things, you know, you mentioned Heritage Months. And I think that that's something that every organization should be doing. Um, I think that they should be doing it authentically. And I think it's a, it can be a really lovely way to celebrate cultures and to just come together in the spirit of fun. And I think that when we can come together just to have fun and to get to know each other across whatever differences we have, it can start to establish a little more trust and then a little, and especially when leaders are involved in all of this, right? So I kind of wrote about this in my newsletter this year, the first newsletter of the year, about how I went to a wedding, a family wedding on New Year's Eve. And the groom was my cousin's son, that first cousin once removed. So pretty young crowd. And my family is super white, super Irish. So I kind of <laughs> expected a very homogeneous crowd. Like that's just sort of what every family wedding has always been. But I was really surprised by how diverse the guests were. Um, but then I had this moment of thinking, 
why the heck am I surprised? <laughs> because, you know, these folks are Gen Z and they are incredibly diverse. And it was really cool to see that within my own family and within the people my family was around. And so it just sort of brought me this moment of feeling joy and looking to find ways to find joy with people who are different and how really catalyzed we can be catalyzed by joy to build more empathy. And I, I know it sounds a little saccharine, but I think that there is a simplicity to it that is a beautiful approach to bring into the new year. Well, protecting our peace and protecting our joy has to be our number one priority this year. It has to, because of the kind of weather that we are in, just to continue with the analogy of the storm. So yeah. it is. we are not helpful if we're on the boat and someone is in the water asking for help and we jump in with them. Like yeah. we're not, we're both now in the water, treading yeah. water. So somebody has to stay on the boat and throw the thing out and bring people out of the water. So we have to take care of ourselves and joy is really important for us to Keep in mind what that compelling vision is of what our purpose is. What's our why mm -hmm. for DEI? Why are we in DEI? Why are we applying DEI to our communications? Like, what is that vision that can pull us? Something my mentor talks about is pain pushes until vision pulls. Mm. We have had so much pain, especially yeah. since the summer of 2020, but longer than that. But we've had so much pain. So let's be pulled by vision. And that can bring us joy and we need yeah. to protect that joy and we need to protect that vision and we need to share the vision and we need to bring more people with us as we move forward in the spiral of progress. I love it. I love it. Well, let's, uh, let's move forward and talk about this week's good vibes and DEI. I think that's a really great transition. The first story this week comes from Southwest Airlines which has a policy of providing free extra seats for passengers of size. And that policy is unique in the industry and it's getting lots of social media praise. So a uh, plus size passengers can request an additional seat at no extra charge, either in advance or at the departure gate. So it's definitely something unique in the industry. And I like to celebrate all different kinds of inclusion here on five things. Pretty cool. Yeah, there's 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 two things that I'll add here is one from as an inclusive communicator and I write these inclusive communications guides. The first thing I'd say was was the narrative around this designed with the with the population in the community in mind. Did they have a say? Did they call themselves people of size? So that would be my first question. And for anyone listening, whenever you're naming something or you're wanting to put out this kind of step forward, like what Southwest is doing, make sure that you're creating the communications, the narrative, the messaging with, not about, not mm -hmm. for, but with the community you're speaking to. So you are using the terms that they use for themselves to identify themselves because we're all of size. So that that's just a process kind of thing of like, okay, so mm -hmm. what is, so what was that term um, used? The second thing, oh my gosh, people are so uncomfortable when they don't fit within this default, you know, size of these chairs. Yeah. You know, you go to a concert, you go to a hockey game, you go to a theater, like that whole design is not inclusive design. Yeah. It is glaringly obvious that there's so much work to be done around these sizes of chairs if somebody yeah. is pregnant it, it's just like it's just 
unnecessary that people are coming out to these wonderful experiences and they're uncomfortable the whole time. Yeah. I am 5'10". I'm all legs. So, <laughs> you know, I, I have that experience of being mm -hmm. completely crunched up with my knees hitting my chin um, sure. in most places where I go. So I just am excited about this moving forward. It's a step. And now let's get to the systemic level. Let's get to the blueprints on how planes and theaters and concert venues are designed to use more inclusive practices. It's a step forward. Let's keep going. Absolutely. Well, we always uh, celebrate all of the little wins and know that there's always a, a, a plus to it. We're always looking for the yes and to those little wins. Absolutely. All right. This next story comes from Sephora. So on LinkedIn, the DEI consultant, Nate Shalev, wrote about a recent trip to Sephora, which really highlighted trans inclusion. So Nate had a really just average experience in the sense that they received a personal skincare recommendation, AI matching to skin tone, and a team member using the correct they, them pronouns. So Nate was celebrating the ordinary joy of not having to worry about being themselves in public. So celebrating Sephora and what they're doing to promote trans inclusion through their customer service training. And I think it's fantastic, Kim, because so many trans folks are just afraid to shop in public because they just don't know what kind of experience they're going to have. Oh, a thousand percent. This should be policy through all customer service trainings everywhere. I was out to dinner with a friend who is uh, in the process of transitioning and goes by they, them. And as the um, server approached our table, uh, they kept saying, ladies, ladies, ladies. And that is not, you know, so the assumption. So yes, the gesture of courtesy is there. Let's just take gender out of it. Hey, everybody, welcome to the restaurant. So glad you're here. My name is, my pronouns are. So it helps the staff yeah. to help them identify and also role model. But it also helps with that unconscious bias of taking out that assumption of you're the gender that I see you as. So when you're, the courtesy is meant to be connection, yeah. then allow that space to be the connection without your assumption. Does yes. that make sense? Yes. <laughs> so love that Sephora is doing that. And I love that the skin tones um, has the, such the variety that it is mimicking what is in our melanated variations. That yes. is an incredibly important point as well. Yes, exactly. Sephora has done a lot and they are a signer on the 15% pledge committing to diversify their shelf space with Black-owned businesses. So I really appreciate all that they've done, especially on a very systemic level. Okay, the third story this week comes from the state of Michigan, where a recently signed law expands automatic voter registration to incarcerated in individuals upon release. So Michigan already allowed ex-felons to regain voting rights, but this new law actually pre-registers the inmates, and now they're trying to do a lot of education around this to make sure that these folks who are disproportionately BIPOC folks um, because of systemic racism to make sure that these folks can, can vote. I say, if you've been impacted, your life has changed by the system, you have every freaking right to be voting for the people who are making decisions and laws based on the very system that your life has been changed by. They are more qualified in some ways mm -hmm. <laughs> to vote 
because they've been through the system. They've experienced yeah. it. They know where this is like frontline in our, in our workplaces. People yeah. who are on the front line, they know where the solutions are. They know where things could be more equitable. Those are the people we need to be listening to. So I would love for those people to, they, they should absolutely have access. They've been impacted by it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a great precedent for other states to hopefully follow because there are still a number of states which don't even allow formerly incarcerated people to vote at all. All right. The fourth story this week comes from the Irish dancing community, which has rallied behind trans competitors. Uh, there was a trans teen who won in a Irish step dancing contest and then experienced some discrimination and then a really outpouring of support which actually really follows along with the Irish Step Dancing Global Organization, which affirms uh, the existence of trans folks and allows them to compete along with everyone else. So as a first-generation Irish-American, I really love this story. Love it when the Irish step up their inclusion. I see what you did there. Uh, (laughs) yeah this is huge i mean you know the thing is is like you were talking about affirming trans existence i mean transgender people have been around since human beings have been around so all we're doing is is you know so the truth is that they've all have always been a part of our population and so what the work is now is just recognizing where we've created these barriers for their access that's what equity is about so the fact that we are looking at where those barriers are and that that community in particular going to their policies, going to their practices, and then doing what they needed to do to work with people who are running those local competitions to say, this is what we're about. This is what we stand for. That's, that's embedding it. That's making it systemic across the culture Mm -hmm. of the organization. And every trans person that I've talked to, you know, talks about, you know, the difference of testosterone and estrogen and stuff. And, and so again, these, I'll go back to what we were talking about with Southwest. These kinds of policies and practices need to be made with the people that are being impacted. Nothing about us without us. And That's so right. I, I love this story and I hope other sports and, and, and related creative organizations follow its lead. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's just really important to, it's, it's in a great example of allyship in action. You know, I think that's, we don't always see what that looks like. We hear that word and this is what it looks like, folks. It's exactly what it looks like. Allyship in action. All right. The fifth story this week comes from Aviva, a major UK insurance company, which is enforcing a policy requiring CEO approval for senior white male hires. So the goal is to combat sexism in the financial industry and ensure a fair hiring process. So it's focused on the 5% of senior roles at Aviva, which have to be signed off on by CEO Amanda Blanc. So she basically reviews all hires of or proposed hires of white men in the top 5% to ensure some accountability. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, it's a great step forward. And it's her mindset that's the real gold. Like yes. white men in her position, straight white men, you know, it's that mindset that we're looking mm-hmm. for. So it's not always the skin tone, it's the mindset as well, right? And exactly. so- And whatever package it comes in, having that inclusive mindset is really key. And this could also curb the kind of getting through the lines and around the rules that I've seen some major brands go through where they're redefining diversity by saying, well, he's Italian or he's French. (laughs) That's diverse. That's diversity. 
And it's like, we need to be really clear of what we're talking about. If we have a large Italian audience as our customer base, Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah, okay, we need to have that perspective. But at that level, if there's more of a black community, that's a part of our uh, core audience, then we need to be having that perspective. This is, this is not rocket science. It really isn't. It's the representation, but it's also that inclusive mindset that we need to, um, you know, regardless of the package that it's in, but this is, this is, I appreciate that she's looking at what she can control Mm -hmm. and what she can role model from an accountability standpoint where she's making herself accountable, but it's also making us again, we're going back to system, system wide, Mm -hmm. how we are hiring. This is what we need to be looking at. We need to be more representative. Exactly. And you know what? There are, I'm sure going to be some fantastic white men who are great and great candidates and should be hired. Right. But just having that extra degree of thoughtfulness brings in the accountability. It's that mindset. So if, if that white guy, you know, is amazing at his job, he's got the, you know, the skills and the qualifications, but part of those qualifications must for all positions, but especially C-suite and leadership positions, you have to have that DEI mindset. If you do not go through that, that part of the rigorous part of the interview process, you're just going to get more of the same. You're going to get farther and farther away from being prepared for what the next gen of this workforce looks like. Absolutely. Thank you. That's a great point. All right, Kim, it has been fantastic having you as a guest. Thank you. I'm going to say this week's call to action is an important article in Forbes by Janice Gassamasari, and I'm going to put it in the show notes as well. And it's about why Claudine Gay resigns from Harvard, why black excellence is never enough. So I'm going to share this. I think it's really important for white folks in particular um, to read because uh, that was an absolute disgrace. So Kim, took me um, over the edge, Bernadette took me yeah. over the edge, but you know, it's just fires us up even more. It makes it even more important to protect. Yep. Exactly. So Kim, how can folks get in touch with you? Uh, hey, everybody. So KimClarkCommunications.com is our firm's website. We are launching a DEI course so you can understand how to apply DEI to your communications, regardless of, you know, what position you have, what level position you have. So we have a course and we're also starting, I'm going to be doing some coaching, Bernadette. So anybody who signs up for the course, you're going to get group coaching once a month and you're going to get homework. This is professional development. It's time to take action. It's time to get real. So I'm really excited about this. So you can go to KimClarkCommunications.com and you can sign up for that. Um, And it was a real pleasure to be here, Bernadette. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was a real pleasure as well. And uh, I think your course is really fantastic because like you said, I think folks are really struggling with how to get it right. And I know that there's not one clear cut answer, but I love the passion that you bring to, uh, <laughs> to the process. So, so thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your week. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to five things in 15 minutes. I hope you found yourself inspired by at least one of this week's stories. If you did, would you mind sharing it with a colleague and leaving us a review on your favorite podcasting platform? And if you don't already get my Five Things newsletter, join at fivethingsdei.com. I'm Bernadette Smith, and I'll see you next week right here for Five Things in 15 Minutes, bringing good vibes to DEI. DEI.